Hello, my name is Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes uh, the lives we live. I have Samantha Freds with me today, and we're going to talk about a couple of topics that are uh, just, you know, real easy to, to talk about. We're going to talk about her story and uh, a couple other things that you might not talk about uh, in your average Sunday school class. But yeah, Sam, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Anthony. It's good to be here. Uh, so one of the things I always ask guests, the, the first thing I ask is for them just to tell us a little bit about themselves, uh, to tell us a little bit about their story, who they are in a nutshell. So, um, Sam, could you just tell us a little bit about your story, who you are in a nutshell? Yeah, Sam in a nutshell. Well, uh, I can be a tough nut to crack. Uh, I've been, I've been told it can be difficult to get to know me. Uh, I'm a bit of an introvert. So I'll try to jump right in with the big stuff today. Um, I'm a new mom to a beautiful baby girl. Uh, her dad and I have been married for four and a half years, and I've loved nearly every day of it. No, every day of it. Um, I'm in my third and final year of seminary, and I'm a resident pastor, a uh, pastor in training, essentially. Let's see. I, I love all things sports, playing, coaching, watching. I like reading. I'm super type A and I'm a, a bit of a nerd. I think we've connected on on Batman yeah, yeah. previously. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's me today. But if I was to rewind a little bit, I grew up on the East Coast, mostly New York, uh, not the city. It's a big state, people. It's a big state. <laughs> right. Um, let's see, when I was in fourth grade, my dad retired from the Air Force and he became a pastor. So my brother and I grew up as pastor's kids in a small town church. And this is a rather reductive statement, but for us, that meant we grew up with a lot of pressure to always mm. be seen doing the right thing, uh, always knowing the Sunday school answer. And we each handled that pressure very differently. Uh, for me, it meant overachieving, becoming hyper-involved in church activities, um, but it also meant hiding my struggles and wearing the quote, church girl mask when necessary. And, and that piece is pretty relevant to my story that I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit further about today. So yeah, that's me a little bit. So um, with that transition from the, your dad retiring the military to going into ministry, was there a dramatic uh, shift? Um, like had your family been Jesus followers before and there was just this call to ministry uh, or was there this conversion for your, your dad and then the ministry followed and, and was, was the whole picture of faith a dramatic or just the ministry, uh, the, the new dynamic there? Um, mostly just the ministry aspect, um, at least as far as um, my life was concerned. I, like I said, I was in fourth grade. So we, we went to the church prior to that. Um, my parents both had kind of dramatic life changes before um, they had kids. And so for me, it was just that added dynamic of being in ministry or in a ministry family. Um, yeah. 
Now, uh, this may be kind of hard to, to nail down, but that pressure you experienced, was that um, perceived pressure or actual from congregation, uh, maybe some from your family? Uh, and yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I think it's a little bit of both as far as perceived and real. Um, I think when you start to see instances of that, um, you, you then see more of them, even if they're, um, that's maybe not what's going on. So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, we were at a small town, so everybody knew everything type of thing anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think part of it was, was me part of it was an expectation maybe from my parents even that like you're the pastor's kids you're our kids even even if it wasn't specifically pastor for them like they obviously wanted us to represent the family well just like I think every parent does yeah Um, my kids three months so I don't have to worry about that yet but you know I think that's it's probably a pressure for for families in general yeah yeah so part part of your story involves uh, a season and I know this because of previous conversations, uh, but part of your story involves a season of not really following Jesus very intentionally. Uh, could you maybe describe that season and maybe even some of the factors that like led up to that? How did you find yourself in that place? Yeah, I like the terminology, not very intentionally, because uh, that's that's a lot of what it was, but it's also kind of being nice about it. Um, let's see. Yeah, I had... I had a really good foundation in the church and in Christian faith. Like I said, my, my parents gave me that and I'm eternally grateful, literally eternally grateful for that. Um, but I struggled with some temptations that I, for whatever reason, felt like I couldn't talk about. So eventually that overachieving mask wearing life uh, kind of caught up to me. While in college at a Christian university, I started dating my first girlfriend. Uh, and there were rules against same-sex relationships. Uh, so my pattern of hiding had to continue, or at least I thought it did. Uh, I lived a double life for a number of years. Very few people knew about my relationships. I tried to continue going to church. I was wrestling with some big questions. Can I be a Christian and a lesbian? did God make me this way? And then say that I can't be this way. Am I going to hell if I continue in this lifestyle? Is God even real? You know, just so many big questions. And I kind of wrestled with them alone. Um, So when you're swimming alone in those types of questions, the threat of drowning is pretty real. Um, So yeah, that, that part of my story, that period of time, did not involve following Jesus very intentionally. I just didn't know how to make the two. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't live an undivided life. It felt so. It was hard to to do both, and I picked yeah. one over the other. So, uh, how would you describe your experience with the the same sex attraction um, dynamic? Would did you? early on in, in your teen years, uh, realize this was a temptation or, um, yeah. When, when did some of that begin to be on your radar? Um, 
I mean, it really hit the radar in in college, honestly, as, as a freshman and very early on in college, a couple months in. Um, and I was, <laughs> I don't mean influenced negatively here, uh, but I was influenced by the individual who became my girlfriend initially. Um, and again, that, that sounds not what it was, um, but that's that's the first time that that some of those thoughts started kind of going through my head. Um, however, I think it goes, it's earlier than that in the sense that <laughs> I'm not uh, what one might call the stereotypical female. Like I just, I never really got, I, I never had like friends that were, were girls. I just didn't, didn't do things that girls did and at younger ages and in high school. I mean, I had, I had some friends, but I hung out with mm-hmm. the guys, you know, yeah. that was the youth group that I went to was mostly guys. Um, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I told you earlier, I'm a huge like sports fan and it just, so I think part of that is the, was the culture kind of telling me like, you're not normal. Yeah. And I started to equate that to, I guess, same-sex attraction or sexual orientation. Um, I do not believe those things are the same, but I think early on those were of some of the additional influences. Um, yeah, I think that's not to say that the fact that I ended up in relationships with women, it, like it doesn't discount that, you know what I mean? Like that, those were yeah. still, those were real later. Um, but I think early on, I have to acknowledge that some of that like cultural pressure and just that feeling of like, there's something different about you was there. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a finding, well, who, who am I, if I don't fit in these particular categories? And, um, and I think it's fair, just, I'm just going to go ahead and say this now, as we are going to continue to dive into a little bit more of your story. Um, which I also want to say thank you for sharing transparently. I know we talked about this a little bit ahead of time and, and you're willing to do that, but just even on the, the episode here, I'm going to say like, this is, um, it takes courage to share our stories and the vulnerable parts of it. Uh, but the other thing I want to note is we are complex uh, and so many of the different things we experience in life and our different uh reactions and responses to factors, you know, environmental factors and things that happen to us. It's all very complex. And um, we are, we are complex beings and God's grace and his love uh, is sufficient and meets us in that complexity. But it's, I think a lot of times we like to nail down like one factor or uh, make things very clear, cut and dry. And what I found, at least in my ministry with people's stories, is they're just not that neatly packaged. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that as we continue to dive into this stuff that just acknowledge like uh, Sam's story is complex and there are a lot of factors that um, shape different things. So, um, yeah, I once heard you share that while you were in this season of kind of living this divided life, as you said, and um, while you had relationships with other women, you weren't really able to justify it in your heart. Um, you believe scripture teaches that marriage is intended to be between one man and one woman. And I think just for clarity's sake, that also implies the, the sexual relationship between one man and one woman inside the 
the relationship of marriage. Um, some have tried to sort of make the argument that when the scriptures speak about uh, homosexuality, when they speak against it or sexual morality, they're not condemning a monogamous same-sex relationship. Uh, if you are familiar with this argument, and I'm moderately familiar, I know there's a couple books that have been written. I have, I'll just transparently say I haven't read them. Um, I've read about them and different things and reviews and had conversations about it, but I don't know if you're familiar with the argument. Could you sort of sketch out uh, this argument? So the argument that scripture does not condemn monogamous same-sex relationships, sort of sketch that argument out and then share why were you not convinced um, by this argument when you were sort of living that divided life? Yeah, I'm... I will use the term familiar. I am familiar with the argument. I, I'm not a, a scholar in that sense, but I, I'm familiar with the argument. Um, and the way I understand it, it's generally twofold. So first, there are passages in the Bible, Bible typically pointed to that um, condemn or prohibit same-sex relations. Um, and as you mentioned, the idea is that those passages are not referring to monogamous, consensual, same-sex relationships. Instead, uh, Leviticus 18.22, for instance, is prohibiting homosexual temple prostitution and other rituals, which were common in Egypt and among the Canaanites. So th that chapter, Leviticus 18, actually begins, the Lord says, you must, do not, must not do as the Egyptians or Canaanites do. And then the author goes on and lists all these practic practices that were apparently going on around the Israelites at that time. And do not lie with men as you would with a woman is one such practice. So the idea there is there's a context, right? And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's what was really being condemned. Um, there are similar arguments around some other passages um, as well. And like I said, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I would agree. Some of those arguments <clears throat> are more convincing than others. I, I would agree. Some of them are very like, okay, yeah, that's the context. That's probably what's being pointed to there. It's probably not um a, a broad like homosexuality condemnation uh, so that's one side of the argument i should clarify some of them some of those arguments are, are less convincing yeah, yeah. than others the other side of the argument lays out passages in the bible that supposedly affirm same-sex relationship uh, and again for what it's worth i personally find these arguments less convincing as they're typically arguments from silence uh, their speculation mm -hmm. or their reading into the context. Uh, you know, there's nothing explicit about David and Jonathan, but that's one that gets thrown out a lot. Like, yeah, there's yeah. something a little beyond friendship there. Uh, that's the argument. Yeah. For me, um, regardless of all the details, and you can really get bogged down in like tearing apart this word or that word and, and all that. Yeah. Um, but I was never able to justify it in my heart because that's, that's just it. In my heart, I knew it was not God's best for me. I'm a very logical person. I appreciate well laid out arguments. I'm a skeptic by nature and I lead with my head. But in this case, I, I could not uh, call it conviction, call it the Holy Spirit. Frankly, that, that conviction, that inability to justify it made me really angry at the time. It was hard. <laughs> I didn't, I tried, you know, I really tried to like, think it was okay for me. Um, mm. But that's, that's what it was. 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to say this, this next part really, really carefully, but is my perspective and it's part of my experience that the argument that we're talking about here, um, the argument is found and it's accepted by those who are trying to reconcile the words of the Bible with the lifestyle that I believe is incongruent with what the Bible teaches. So that's, that's hard. And I, I realize those words can be painful. I remember them. Um, but I still felt like I needed to say them. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Uh, I think one of the things that is valuable to acknowledge too on, on sort of the flip side of, of what you shared is um, the people there, there is value in responsibly diving into the context of scripture and the original language and really trying to understand um, what is being said here. Uh, because I think there have been things, there has been damage done and uh, in the name of being biblical. And I think, uh, I think sometimes we drift towards it, like the, the church can drift towards legalism and sort of drift towards having the posture of the Pharisees in the New Testament and missing the heart of what's being said or the heart of what's what's being pointed to. And so I think being especially like as a pastor, I want to I want to responsibly wield the scriptures like I don't want to um, because Jesus, there's one place and I, I don't know the exact reference, um, but he talks to the Pharisees about laying burdens on people uh, that, that not even they are willing to carry. And um, these, I don't want to do that with my pastoral influence or authority. And so I do want to responsibly understand the context at the same time. I, I have seen what I sometimes call uh, exegetical gymnastics. <laughs> um, uh, and I think I probably borrowed that term from someone. I probably didn't originate that, but where people try to do all these fancy word studies and jump around and sort of contort scripture to say something that uh, like the consensus of scholarship does not affirm, you know, and, and I think we have to be careful both ways, I think, but I also find it interesting though, that, that there was this yeah, conviction or the sense in something in your, in your heart, in your spirit. And you even identified this distinguished, this uh, distinction between your logic and your, your brain and, and your heart. And I think sometimes we tend in our sort of Western uh, post-enlightenment, you know, rational culture to feel or believe that truth can only be apprehended through logic and, and knowing, but I think we all intuitively know there is this other place in our being, this other uh, means of knowing truth, and we call it our heart, but it, it's something, yeah. it's something, you know, and, and it matters. I, I think we shouldn't discount that. Uh, so how, so as you mentioned at the beginning, yeah, <laughs> uh, you you're you've been married. Uh, did you say four and a half years? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. That's and your your daughter, Bree, is three months old. Yeah. Uh, how how did you go from being in a relationship um, with another woman to being married with a newborn at home? What what changed? What happened? Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a part of my story that 
is the most difficult to explain. Um, it did not happen all at once, and yet the blur of details often makes it seem like it did. It was a very confusing time. Uh, leaving that lifestyle, uh, leaving those relationships um, initially felt like betraying myself. Um, but at the same time, there's this, honestly, just a sense of like coming home. It, it's, it's kind of a paradox, but it's, that's what it was. Um, but ultimately, the, the change was a decision. It was a one step at a time, painfully confusing decision. Um, I was actually living, <laughs> I was living with my girlfriend at the time, and the decision to leave broke me. And now looking at that brokenness from a Christian perspective, it might be easy to say that that's exactly what needed to happen. You know, I needed to be broken. I needed to break. I needed to empty myself. But man, life is not that simple. <laughs> and so that, that perspective looking back, uh, even for me, it's hard to, to agree with. Um, but now, I mean, my, my story, I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that it, it's one of redeemed sexuality, uh, meaning I'm very happily married to a wonderful man, a, a godly husband. I've been blessed with um, a daughter, um, but I'd be the first to tell you that that's, that's not the point. Uh, the point is that I walked away from a lifestyle that was incongruent with my interpretation of scripture and, and that would was at odds with uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I, the point is that I found true relationship with Jesus again, and that's, that's what truly changed. Um, and I got to say, though, that my, my story is not always the way that it works. Um, I, I wish it was. Uh, you know, I, I believe Jesus came to redeem and restore all creation, uh, all sin, but, but sometimes that freedom doesn't come on the side of heaven or in this life. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm beyond grateful that, that it did for me, um, that I have that kind of sense of redemption now, but I, I just want to acknowledge that that's, that's not the story for everybody and that's okay. Even. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to dive into this a little bit because, uh, listeners, if they listen to a previous episode, um, I chatted with uh, a friend of mine named Tyler and uh, we talked about LGBT people. And one of the things he indicated, at least from research, was that um, orientation uh, and even same-sex attraction. So he distinguished same-sex attraction is being able to in, in, most simply acknowledge that someone of the same sex is <laughs> attractive, which, I mean, frankly... Um, there are times where like, yeah, they're a good looking dude. You know, I, I can acknowledge that versus the orientation of, you know, he kind of described it as at puberty, they, it was, they, they sort of found that they were attractive consistently to the same sex. And, um, and he specifically talked about how, at least from research, um, that they've done psychologically. It's not something necessarily that's chosen. And the reason I bring that up is, is you talked about there was a decision you made um, to, to leave that relationship. And uh, yeah, could you sort of clarify, do, do you, would you disagree with 
Um, and that's okay if you do. Uh, the previous guest, would you disagree with what he said? Um, if you wouldn't, if you don't disagree with him, how would you sort of nuance your experience? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna make sure I answer all parts of that as we go here, but um, thank you. This is a good clarification. I did actually listen to uh, that podcast, oh, yeah. so I have a little bit of background with that. Oh, good. Um, and I thanks for listening. <laughs> I was kind of expecting this this question because when he said it, I thought, hmm, that's not that's not gonna be what I say. Um, and that's yeah. okay. Um, okay. So first of all, the idea of it being a choice, the choice was for me, the choice was to leave that lifestyle. And by that, I mean the behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think Tyler was his name, right? I think Tyler yeah. would, would agree in the sense that uh, he distinguished behavior and orientation. So the yeah. decision that I made um, was to cease behavior, right? In, in a homosexual uh, way i stopped behaving in that way i stopped acting upon that that orientation that desire um so that's the choice that was made and that was difficult um and that's kind of what i was what i was saying there um but for me i i guess i still have to disagree a little bit because and this is the part that's really confusing as far as the timeline like i made that decision I didn't do it perfectly. Like it wasn't cold Turkey. I'm going to be honest. Like there was some struggle there for a while. Um, but eventually even after the behavior was like, okay, I'm, I'm past that. Like there was still that attraction. There was still that, I guess you could call it orientation even. Um, and my husband knows this, like I had, I had that, those same sex attractions for a while afterwards. Um, but it's like, I, <laughs> It's like I woke up one day and they were gone. Like I didn't, I didn't notice that they were leaving. I didn't notice that I stopped noticing women. <laughs> it's just, um, that's what happened. And so that's, that's where I have to point to um, just the power of Jesus in my life because he, I guess the temptation is gone. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not naive to think that it couldn't come back at some point. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's not here now and it used to be. So I guess I would agree and disagree at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Which I think is, uh, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I, the, the way I've articulated it before too, is I believe the, through the power of the Holy spirit, we can be sort of healed. And I like that language because the, Greek word in the New Testament that's often translated as saved also sometimes is translated as healed when Jesus heals someone because it carries this idea of wholeness and all this. So mm -hmm. I believe we can be healed, um, but on this side of heaven, healing doesn't necessarily mean immunity. So yeah, I believe we can be healed from uh, a particular propensity uh, to sin. We can be healed from have the sort of the the effects of, because sin always also has effects. It's sort of, um, there's side effects, I guess you could say of sin. So, um, we can be, we can be healed of that, but, uh, we're not immune. And especially this is why Christian community, it's why having boundaries, not because of legalism or rigidity, but because, um, you know, you sort of hang around, uh, the, the illness, you, you can, you can get it again. And so, um, and you can see this with, people who've overcome addictions and, and all that stuff. But yeah, 
So I think you, you would say you're sort of healed of that attraction, not naive enough to think you're immune, but it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Yep. So the other flip side is, uh, or sort of the, where some people will run with this is to say, ah, Sam's story is sort of proof that God transforms people and makes them straight. And so that's sort of, um, that's sort of the goal. And if they're really going to become a Christian, they need to be, you know, become ex gay as, as they would say. And, um, so yeah, what's your sort of, what, what would your response to that? So if someone is struggling with same sex attraction, do they need to be made straight to become a Christian? Um, or can someone be a Jesus follower and still experience same sex attraction? Uh, what's your, what's your take on what does redemption look like for, for others? Uh, I would, I would say pretty solidly, no, becoming straight is not a requirement. Um, I absolutely believe you can be a Jesus follower and experience same sex attraction, even consider yourself, um, I guess, oriented in that way. Um, this goes back to the difference between orientation and behavior, right? Um, mm -hmm. So no, becoming straight is not a requirement. And like I said, it, it really shouldn't even be the goal. I yeah. think it's wrong for the church, for other Christians to, to make being straight the goal. Like that's, that's not it. I think we're missing the mark there. Um, yeah. Like it, in the same way I could be inclined to gluttony or greed or anger and, and not act on it or at least recognize and repent when I do. Um, it's the same thing. Sexual sin is just a little more concrete. Like it's hard to argue that we aren't aware of it. Like we could with anger or greed, perhaps. Um, and scripture tells us that sexual immorality is a sin against our own body. So it, it is different in that sense. Um, but I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to get away from the question. No, I don't think uh, becoming straight is a requirement or should be the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting in, in, in the podcast with Tyler, we kind of talked about this too, but like the sexual sin and even within sexual sin, there's like these categories, but sexual sin, and then especially homosexual, what people would say is homosexual sin. Um, it's like a category all its own, mm -hmm. but, uh, my wife and I have been exploring or trying to talk about, um, a little bit, just, our, our eating habits and, um, and, you know, self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit. Uh, but, but to be frankly honest, like there are times where I do not exhibit the fruit of the spirit, uh, when it comes to food, but that's like a sanctified sin in the church, mm -hmm. especially back in the days when like, you know, you, you, you found every excuse in the book for a potluck at church, right? Like, <laughs> um, it, but it's, we don't exhibit self-control when, when that has, and I'm picking on, on food, but I, I'm just trying to point out that like we have these categories for sins. And then based on these categories, we, we make it our right to sort of judge people and determine, um, you know, how close they can or cannot be to Jesus. And, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, I think, yeah. I think someone, could wrestle with same sex attraction and temptation, just like there are people in our churches who wrestle with heterosexual temptation and attraction. And I think um, they can, they can follow Jesus. They don't need to be 
they don't need to get their lives cleaned up first and then yep. follow Jesus. Yeah, but, but I think we have work to do to be able to be the sort of community where people who have these diverse backgrounds and stories and struggles um, can feel safe in, in community. Because that, that I loved what you said earlier, actually, that kind of to bring it back around to that is you talked about um, sort of swimming alone. That threat mm-hmm. of drowning is very real is, is how you said it. And I think there's so many people in our world that we're supposed to be, you know, um, in community with, and even potentially be offering a life preserver to, uh, but we're allowing them to swim alone, uh, because they don't belong with us because you can't belong and have that as part of your story. And, um, yeah, I'm starting to preach. We'll stop. stop. (laughs) That's all right. Oh, do you have anything to add? I'm monologuing here. No, that's, that's good. I, I, I guess going back to like the category categories of sin thing, I agree. Like we've, we've kind of ranked them. Um, and there are some human consequences mm-hmm. to certain sins, right. That are greater than others. Um, and so maybe that's why some of the ranking has happened, but um, yeah, we say it pretty easily. Sin is sin. Right. So I, I agree yeah. with what you're saying there. And, and I absolutely agree. Like the community factor, that's what was missing from my story. And and it's kind of one of those, like, what you asked, was it perceived or real? Like, was that danger or, or I guess just lack of safety in the church? Did I perceive that or is that real? Um, <laughs> it felt pretty real to me that I, you know, I couldn't talk about that struggle. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do, I do think we have, we have work to do there and all I can do is try to be part of it, I guess. Yeah. And we can't, we can't totally control other people's perceptions, but if we're part of, um, this is where our individualistic culture doesn't like this kind of thinking sometimes, but if we're part of a collective group that sort of has, has gained a reputation, um, here's a, here's maybe a bad example analogy. I don't know, but like if there was a, a restaurant in the community, um, that had a horrible reputation for service and it comes under new ownership. Um, it's all the employees, the waiters, the servers, the hosts, the cooks, um, and the owners it's, it's on everybody to sort of do the work to change, um, the reputation of that restaurant in the community. Right. So as the church, I think sometimes we can't totally control people's perception, but we could take the initiative and be proactive about confronting those perceptions, um, and, and just take some initiative and, and take it upon ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to try to step out and build the bridge and, and be the sort of person that exhibits grace and compassion and things. Um, and not just sometimes wash our hands of people's perceptions, whether they're real or fair or not, you know. Um, but again, I, so <laughs> well, back to so what, what things might Christians not understand about people who might be struggling um, with same-sex attraction, people who might be swimming alone, that if they understood, they would be able to be just, you know, more graciously reflect Christ. What are some things that you would say, I, I, I wish other people could understand this? Hmm. Yeah. First of all, the idea of just don't, uh, like just don't mm. do it. Uh, it's, it's so unfair. 
Um, we cannot, we can't tell someone who's struggling with an addiction to stop using, right? That's, it's not that simple. And I'm in no way saying that homosexuality or same sex, sex attraction is an addiction, uh, but the church has historically missed the mark in helping people who struggle with both in very similar ways. So I think first of all, that idea of just don't, doesn't cut it, get clean, get over it before you come in the building falls so short of the way Jesus treated people. Um, and it, it's hard because if, you, if you've never experienced it, you don't understand it. Um, and we tend to just push things off that we don't understand. And, mm. and um, so yeah, I just encourage people like, that's, that's not gonna be the way to fix it. Just don't, doesn't work. Um, no. Similarly, and, and I believe this is true for sin in general, hitting someone with the so-called biblical argument for or against, uh, it does not help. Anyone living outside of God's best for them needs Jesus, period. Uh, that mm. goes back to becoming straight, not being the goal. It's not our job to convince others or to convict them. Um, and so as much as I would agree with what you said earlier, like we should know the context, we should, we should want to study and, and understand things. But if you're, if you're doing that so that you're ready to hit someone with it, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'll just caution against that. Hmm. And then I think it's good to keep in mind um, that in many ways, this is a struggle of identity, that sexual orientation hmm. relationship for that matter is such a big part of who we are. It's how we present ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we introduce ourselves as so-and-so's significant other or, you know, family member, like we're just, we're tied in relationship in that way. So if I'm someone who struggles with pornography, I don't identify with that sin in the same way that I do this one. So um, just keep in mind that it's, there's that identity level. And so when you, when you're talking about it, when someone, if someone is able to open up and like say that they're struggling with that, like, just remember, it's really, it's tied to who they think they are most likely at that point in time. And and that can be really difficult. So, and I guess it's just that idea of leading with grace and love. Like if you don't understand it, just listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking, as you said, the whole just don't thing that we sometimes tell people, it puts, um, it puts the weight of transformation on the person. Mm. Like you just don't. Yeah. But one of the things that the gospel claims is that it's Jesus and the spirit who does the resurrection transformation because you actually can't. So it's interesting, like, just don't, but then we'll turn around and say, you can't save yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, which is it? <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just, I think that's interesting. Um. So this could have been probably two episodes because we're kind of <laughs> like, we're going to do uh, a double hitter here on uh, topics, but I want to shift gears a little bit because um, you are a resident pastor. You're in ministry. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your call to ministry and what it's been like pursuing that calling as a, as a female in ministry? And um, I guess one of the things to know is there, there were some recent uh, Saddleback Community Church 
uh, recently ordained women and um, I haven't looked into a, a lot, but I understand they're connected or affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. So that's caused a little bit of a stir. So uh, this is kind of um, a hot topic within the church. Uh, what's that been like for you? So what was your calling like? And then what has it been like pursuing this calling as a, as a woman in ministry? Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a quick sidestep because I've wrestled a little bit with the idea of calling. Um, I think there's plenty yeah. of biblical examples of you know, people being called. Uh, you know, David was certainly not the next in line for the throne. Uh, Paul, his life was clearly redirected by God, right? But I think our modern understanding of calling sometimes leaves people immobilized, like waiting for that exact thing mm-hmm. that they're supposed to do with their lives. Um, and then on the other hand, it sometimes places undue pressure on those who are in vocational ministry. Um, so I just, I have to like, just caveat that, that wording. I know what you mean and I use it too, that calling. Um, but yeah, I just side note, like I said, no, I think that's a great side note. My, uh, my wife struggles, uh, with feeling like she hasn't had that clear sense of vocational calling. Um, but Mm -hmm. God has gifted her. She recently took um, we, we both did for the, for a job that I'm pursuing, but we took these assessments and it just affirmed how God's wired her and gifted her and, mm-hmm. um, and where she, how she can use that to glorify God, regardless of vocation, um, or regardless of like career. Cause I, I think that's what's happened is sometimes calling and career have become synonymous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that they may not be. So let me, for the sake of, being fair to your comment, let me reword this then. Um, <laughs> d- describe the things that happened that influenced your transition from the business world yeah. to uh, you're a seminary student and a resident pastor. Uh, why? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And also, yeah, why did the, uh, you left? Like it was a, there was a leaving uh, of at the very least an income and a career path that probably would have in a lot of people's eyes been pretty successful. So yeah. Tell us about that transition. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I, I went to school for business originally and I was working at general motors, um, after undergrad. Um, but I was insanely unhappy <laughs> and very unsettled. <laughs> um, this is not, indicative of the entire corporation, but the specific plant that I was at was just very toxic. Um, and I was not the best version of myself there at all. Um, so I, I just knew that something had to change and my husband and I were talking about moving and working at another company. And in that process, I, I felt this desire to go into full-time ministry. I felt really led in that way. Right. So I'm not going to use call, but it's, it's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Um, but that's all I knew at the time, just full-time ministry. And so that started with seminary for me. So I applied and I went and it wasn't until a year into that process that the details lined up and I realized pastoral ministry was really what I wanted, uh, what I felt led to do. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of background of, of how I got here. I remember, (laughs) one day sitting in the parking lot at the the plant that I was working at at GM and I called my dad and I was like, Hey, pastor dad, like, how do you know that you're called? <laughs> so we, we kind of had that connection and, and chance to talk through some of that, which was 
it was pretty good, pretty great at the time, um, really helpful. But if I'm being honest, pursuing this calling, this, this leading in my life, this even vocational ministry, right? Like just being a female in ministry, it's not been that difficult for me. Um, and by that, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to have grown up in a tradition that affirms women in ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, being part of the Wesleyan church, uh, women are supported in all levels of ministry um, and essentially from the beginning of the, that denomination. Um, mm-hmm. So while being a pastor, I'm learning is not easy. Um, and in some ways I knew that at watching my dad, um, right. it's not an easy life. So I don't mean that, but I, I just haven't personally found it more difficult because I'm a woman. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's unfortunately not the case for a lot of women who have been obedient to God, uh, leading and, and being in vocational ministry. So I will say the first time I, I did face some opposition was as a seminary student in a, a different tradition. I was outside of the Wesleyan church for a little while. And interestingly enough, the school was more than happy to train me, and educate me in all areas of ministry. Uh, but the larger denomination of the school uh, doesn't ordain women. Can't, they can't be pastors. So I love studying there. But that year that I spent there really gave me the opportunity to work through what I believed, um, whether it was okay to be a woman in ministry. It was frustrating at times. I remember being angry at one point or another, but ultimately I think it was really good for me to experience at least some of that. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? As you mentioned, uh, there, there's some, I w- actually, I don't even know if I'd say some, there, there are quite a few uh, Christians who do not believe women can be pastors or preachers or, um, and even with this, there are different levels. I mean, there's some who believe they can't hold any leadership role whatsoever in or outside the church. That's kind of the more extreme end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their belief, their, con- their sense of conviction is related to a couple of scripture passages. And to be fair, these passages on the surface and their um, English translations in our Western culture seem pretty clear cut. Um, how have you worked through these scriptural and theological challenges yourself? Like, how, how did you come to a place of having peace with, with it? Now, this is a difficult question in light of our previous conversation. Um, so, Exegetical gymnastics. Yeah, like I'm, 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 <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not saying the exact opposite of what I said earlier. Um, I'm, I'm leery of any interpretation of scripture that you really have to dig to find. Uh, I think you can find a quote biblical argument for, for, or against almost anything. If you look long enough, um, but, and and this is a huge, but, uh, we can, we cannot deny the fact that the Bible was written in a different time to a specific audience. Um, so we always come with our pre with our, with our own presuppositions and perspectives. That being said, for me personally, working through the much debated issue of women in ministry involved a weekend spent reading two views on women in ministry, which is a very comprehensive and scholarly approach to the topic from the counterpoint series. Most normal humans would not undertake that in a weekend, but I, it mattered to my life in that time. So I, I sat down and I did it. Um, but by the end of it, I was, nearly sickened by both sides, if I'm being totally honest, like the, the total 
egalitarian, blah, blah, you know, the, the terminology is kind of irrelevant, but it felt like each passage was so scrutinized and, and each word was shoved under a microscope and I, I didn't know what to think. Um, so I worked through it in the sense that I, I read both sides. I, I highlighted, I, I tried to, to understand, but at the end of the day, this is it's, again here i guess i i settle i don't i don't want to settle in like a you know the, the heart tells you what to do thing that's truly not what i'm trying to communicate here but at the end of the day i'm at peace with where i believe god has me i think the biblical support for women in ministry is convincing there's plenty of examples of women as prophets evangelists deacons um you know deborah anna priscilla phoebe you know there's there's a few of them in there mm-hmm. um and then the two passages yeah against that are, that are typically used first timothy and then the other one in first corinthians i think if you boil those down um, the literal translations present more issues than they solve um, because <laughs> women are not saved through childbirth <laughs> you know like yeah um there, there's something wrong with our uh that's not the equation of salvation that we that we know and believe so yeah which what's what's interesting is that is that is that that phrase is shortly after um the one about women being silent right yes thank you uh, people don't preach (laughs) they don't reference that one it's like we we acknowledge that like huh there's some nuance going here there's something you know what what paul means we need to kind of understand contextually what he means here um we'll we'll apply that to that part but then the other part it's like we're going to have a hard line um it's clear, you know, biblical that you can't be a pastor, Sam. Um, yeah. It's it's just funny. It strikes me as funny, but yeah. And, and at the end of the day, some of this stuff is like titles that we've created, right? Like I, I do believe that, that God ordained ministry uh, to use some of our terminology and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lower the idea of that, but some of the like splitting hairs over titles that, that you can or can't have is just, yeah, man, I just, it distracts, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good, I think one of the good, mar- like the uh, identifiers of legalism is when we start making creative ways to find uh, loopholes or, uh, you know, really determining where the line is. So when you have someone who's a director of children's ministry instead of a pastor of children's mm. ministry because she's a woman, like, like, why are you splitting the hair so much? Like, mm-hmm. could it be that maybe you're being a little rigid or legalistic about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, anyways, I think, uh, yeah, I think one of the things I read uh, that I thought was really interesting too, that isn't often as talked about was just how countercultural. So part of it, I come and I think you would too, is this idea of the trajectory of the kingdom. So uh, the scriptures were, written in a very specific time and culture. And to some degree, I think um, the scriptures and God accommodates the culture uh, that he is speaking to and revealing himself to. But at the same time, I think Jesus and the kingdom call us uh, and call them beyond, you know, to, to move forward to uh, reflect the kingdom of heaven. So there's this trajectory of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus modeled a trajectory of the kingdom that elevated women in a culture that did not elevate them. 
in a way that would have been very countercultural and very obvious, I think, in his time. And so one of the things I thought was interesting is the story about Martha and Mary and Martha working to prepare the food and um, to be hospitable and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And people often like focus on the busyness factor, like Martha mm -hmm. was just so busy <laughs> and Mary took time. And I think that's legitimate. I think there's legitimate teaching points there. But what I found interesting, someone pointed out was like, uh, Mary's posture was one of a student, of a disciple, of a rabbi, which was not culturally the place for a woman. So just the fact that Jesus had students who were women um, sitting under him, listening to his teaching, uh, seems to indicate that he wanted them to follow him. And the purpose of following a rabbi was to become like your rabbi. Uh, and to do what he was doing, which yeah. would have involved teaching, preaching, ministering, but. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good story to point to. Um, we tend to look at Jesus's ministry sometimes and think like, well, he didn't do this explicitly or, or this or, you know, but he, he, he had a pretty focused purpose. Um, he did a lot of stuff along the way uh, that kind of hints at some other things, but like you said, I don't, I'm not sure the culture was totally ready for for all of that and yet he stepped into that and really treated women differently than yeah. you know his his counterparts if you will other yeah. teachers and etc yeah. so which i think is huge um so this is a really broad question but uh we are in a unique time in so many ways like some of the things the topics we've talked about that relate to your story but also just um it's 2021 and mm. we've uh you know we're living through a pandemic and uh there's been political division and there's just there's unrest and and the pandemic has affected the church and how we do ministry and just all sorts of stuff and it's easy to sort of be pretty discouraged about some of those things. Um, but what's something that, what excites you about the current climate of our time? And uh, what opportunities do you see for the church to be salt and light? Like specifically, you know, right now, so for such a time as this, as they say, <laughs> and what motivates you to serve in the local church? So yeah, what excites you? What opportunities do you see? What's motivating you in this time? Uh, what excites me um, as much as this past year has been very difficult for you know, all of humanity <laughs> in this moment, it's been, I think, an opportunity to fresh start in some ways. You know, it's all the things we used to do just because we did them, um, those kind of got cleared away. And, and there's an opportunity, especially as, as it relates to the church and local church ministry to like refocus on what's really important and, you know, do we need that Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, you know, like we need connection. Absolutely. But like, what, what is the church really about? And kind of that opportunity to refocus um, is exciting and daunting all at the same time, because, yeah, you know, I grew up in, in the church. I grew up with this, this pattern of like, this is what you do. And then, you know, just don't question it. And this is, it's, it's all good stuff. I don't, I don't mean that. Um, but some of that has been stripped away. And so it's, it's daunting, but it's exciting to think like we can move forward from here and, and really try to listen to God's leading uh, first and foremost 
at this time. Um, so there's there's plenty of opportunities related to that, but I guess specifically salt and light and and as it relates to the conversation we've had today, this is so this is gonna sound a little cheesy, but like love people, right? Like seriously, love people, listen to their stories look more deeply into their eyes, value their humanity and the fact that they share the same creator, no matter what they've chosen to do or, or be with their lives, no matter what they look like. Um, and, and frankly, take the greatest preacher's advice and get the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> mm. um, and I, I have to say that to myself first too, right? Yeah. That's, that's the whole point. Like, um, but yeah, there's just, there's so much division in our world right now. And so if we get back as a church to being united by Christ, period, end of story, like there's something different now about us. Um, and so I think that's a huge calling um, and it's an exciting undertaking. Um, and so I guess I'll just wrap it up. Like that's what motivates me right now too, to be that first of all, as I'm you know still in seminary and, and learning and growing and like, you know, wanting to be before I do. Um, mm. That's what motivates me right now. And then the, the reason I'm going to seminary, the reason I've, I've decided to be in pastoral ministry is ultimately to equip and, and I'm not going to use empower. That's what the spirit does, but I guess just equip, right? Like just equip yeah. and be an example for others. Like those are motivational factors for me right now. Yeah, that's good. I love the plank you know, get the plank out of your own eye reference, because um, one of the things I realized reading it a while back was um, if you have a plank in your eye, you can't see very clearly. Um, and when we try to get the speck out of other people's eyes, what we're doing is presuming we have, you know, clear sight. We're, we're sort of presuming that we see things clearly how they should be. And like we said at the beginning, people are really complex. So it's really pretty, uh, it is presumptuous to believe that you, you see another person in the complexity of their story with absolute clarity. Um, the truth is you probably don't. But then the other thing is if, if hypothetically I do remove my, you know, the plank from my eye and I am seeing something clearly that needs to be addressed in, in your life, um, removing a speck, uh, like, assumes proximity you have to be close in relationship to a person to remove a speck out of their eye and sometimes we try to remove the speck out of people that we don't have any relationship with you know and yeah. um yeah i think i think there's a lot of of course there would be it, it was jesus words but i think there's a lot <laughs> a lot that that little teaching te can teach us yeah that's good uh so just to sort of wrap up, are there any resources you would recommend for people who um, are experiencing same-sex attraction uh, or maybe even family members of people experiencing same-sex attraction um, or for women who feel conflicted about their call to ministry? Are there any resources that um, you would recommend? Yeah. Um I'm glad you asked it kind of related to family members because I was having a hard time thinking of resources uh, for, I'm sure they're out there. Um, but one thing I can, I can recommend if there's someone in your life that um, has come to you and, and at least use the word struggling like that, that to me sounds like conversation. 
potential. Mm -hmm. Um, if they're struggling with same sex attraction and you know that I would read what they've asked you to read, um, Mm. start there. And if they haven't, I don't be afraid to ask, like, how can I better understand where you're coming from? And again, I think that's just about like listening and hearing stories. And I'm not saying that that should change, um, your, your conviction about it, but it's just that conversational piece and and getting close in relationship closer even. Um, so that's just, that's kind of a a thought that popped in my head when you asked it that way. But, um, if you're, if you're a woman feeling conflicted about call to ministry, I can just point to some of what I read. And, um, one of those honestly was that, uh, two views on women in ministry. Uh, that was, uh, like I said, part of the counterpoint series. It's long. Um, it's pretty detailed, but if you really want to get into that, that's a good one. Um, Emboldened is a book by Tara Beth Leach. Uh, she's a senior pastor in uh, Pasadena, California. At least she was at the time of, of the book being published. So I apologize if that's outdated, but um, Emboldened is the is the title. And she just shares her story. And it's it was really powerful in my life at the time gifted to lead is another one that's by nancy beach it's about the art of leading as a woman in the church Um, so there's a couple of of options there as far as just kind of sinking into that calling a little bit more yeah um if people wanted to connect with you uh or um your blog uh i'm not sure if you're on on uh what social media platforms you're you're on but um if people wanted to connect with samantha how would they how would they do that where, where could they find you um social media i am on facebook um and instagram so that's those are probably the best two and then i did just start a blog pretty recently um it's called standalone sam <laughs> <laughs> and um just kind of released something on fridays right now um it's been pretty focused on just devotional thought um, nothing too deep, um, at this point, but I've been looking at the questions Jesus asked lately. So that's awesome. a couple ways to, to connect and I'd, I'd love to. So is it uh standalone sam.com? Uh, it's at WordPress. Is that? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. But what's, uh, it might be standalone sam.wordpress.com. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe, mine, maybe we can include that detail later. I don't remember yeah. if it's just .com. I know it's through WordPress, but yeah, I have one through WordPress, and um, it's it's long because I have to have the the WordPress thing in there. But anyways, awesome. Yeah, I have a blog too. If you want to check it out, I'm not <laughs> as uh, I'm not releasing things every Friday. Like I released thing, uh, I think in January. That was the last time I posted a blog. <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, Sam, I really, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come and talk about these things. Um, I hope it's an encouragement. If this was an encouragement to you or inspiring or challenging to you in a, a way that was um, you feel beneficial, just encourage you to share, like, subscribe. All of those things can help uh, sort of expand the listener base. But Sam, thank you for joining us and um, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.